0: You're listening to audio from Grace Family Church. If you'd like to explore more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at gracepsl.org. Let's uh, open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Last week we, uh, we began a new series entitled Jesus Christ prophet priest and king and we also learned last week these three divinely instituted offices were first revealed in the old testament as a way for god to have a relationship with his people the ancient israelites and each of these offices was anointed by god and each one of them fulfilled a specific purpose the prophet represented god before the people And the priest represented the people before God, and the king represented God's rule over the people. Another way of saying that is through the prophet, God spoke to His people. Through the priest, God brought His people to Himself. And through the king, God protected His people. Now ultimately, the anointed prophet, priest, and kings were a foreshadowing of a superior and final anointed one who embodied all three of these ministries, prophet, priest, and king. And that anointed one, otherwise known as Messiah, is Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And everything that He did prior to coming to the earth through His incarnation, He did as prophet, priest, and king. And everything He did during His earthly ministry, He did as either prophet, priest, or king. And the same thing is true from heaven right now seated at the right hand of the Father. Everything in His current heavenly ministry is done in the context of prophet, priest, and king. And therefore, understanding these offices helps us more deeply understand the Lord Jesus. And uh, to know Him more, to, to worship Him more, to serve Him more, to love Him more. So last week, we, uh, we laid the foundation for the entire series. And it was a lot, honestly. Um, and if you weren't here for that, it would really behoove you to go back and watch, listen, or read the messages. You can do that at gracepsl.org or on the Church Center app or on Spotify or iTunes. Um, but I think it would really be important to go back and get that foundation and then come back to this message today, which is Jesus the prophet. This week we're going to look at prophet, next week priest, and next week king. And so the first thing we have to to ask is is what is a prophet? Because when most people hear that word prophet, they they tend to think of somebody who foretells future events. And while that's true, it's only part of the prophet's ministry. In fact, some Old Testament prophets didn't tell you anything about the future. Their ministry was always really directed at the present moment of God's people. Um, Although Old Testament prophets had many functions, basically they were spokesmen for God, who communicated divine revelation to the people, especially obviously the people of of Israel. Now that revelation for the Old Testament prophet was authoritative. And what I mean by that is when the prophet spoke, God spoke. The prophet's Word was God's Word. Jeremiah is God's Word. Jeremiah spoke that by always speaking. It is the equivalent of God's Word. So to reject the prophet was to reject God, to disobey His words was to disobey God. And this is what made the Old Testament prophet unique from a New Testament prophet. See, under the New Covenant, the office of prophet still exists, but the revelation is not authoritative. It's not the Word of God. But rather, it must be judged by the Word of God. Nor is the revelation directive as it was under the Old Covenant. It's only intended to confirm what God is already leading. And why is that? Well, in the Old Testament, only the prophet, priest, and king had the Spirit. In the New Testament, every believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit indwelling them to lead them and to guide them. Now, this revelation came through dreams. It came through visions, verbal communication, supernatural impartation. And through this revelation, God taught His truth, announced His will, and, uh, and foretold His plans. In short, a prophet was a mouthpiece for God. Another way of saying it is the prophet was not involved in content creation, only content communication. Second Peter chapter one. Above all, Peter writes, You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But when we come to Jesus the prophet, he not only communicates content from God, he originates content as God. See, He not only speaks the Word of God, He is the living Word of God. He not only speaks the truth of God, He is the way, the truth, and the life. He not only foretells the future, He determines the future. He not only says, thus saith the Lord, He says, truly I say unto you. And so Jesus is not only a prophet among many, He is the ultimate prophet. But He's not only the ultimate prophet, He is the unique prophet And that's exactly what Peter says in our text this morning, which is, uh, in essence, Peter's second sermon taught after um, the day of Pentecost. This is the second message he gives, and it's going to be our our text this morning, particularly verse 22. But let's read the, the whole passage, Acts 3, beginning in verse 17. Now, fellow Israelites... He jumps into this. Now, I'm kind of jumping halfway into the middle of the sermon. Basically, he says to them, you killed your own Messiah. And then he says this, now, I know you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what He had foretold through the prophets, saying that His Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that He may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive Him until the time comes for God to restore everything as He promised long ago through the holy prophets. So through the prophets, His first coming was promised. And here, His second coming, the restoration of all things. Then He says this, For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like Me, from among your own people, you must listen to everything He tells you. Anyone who does not listen to Him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets who have spoken, they have foretold these days and you are heirs of what the, promise, of what, of the prophets and the, the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up His servant, He sent him first, or to you first, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. All right, four things. There's a lot here, but there's four things I want to dig out that has to do with our topic here this morning, Jesus has prophet. First of all, Jesus was a prophet. He is a prophet. Jesus, secondly, is a prophet like Moses. Third of all, Jesus is a unique prophet. And fourth of all, we're going to look at why do we need a prophet? So Jesus is a prophet. Again, verse 22, Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. So in the, the context of this whole passage, Peter here is preaching about Jesus. And so the prophet that he's referring to is Jesus. Now, as the Son of God, who always existed, Jesus' prophetic ministry began long before His incarnation. Long before His earthly ministry. And just let me say this up front. He has always been, He was, He always will be prophet, priest, and king. Always. He'll always function in those three roles. He's always been a prophet in the sense that He is the member of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who goes forth and communicates the will of God. He's always the sent member of the Godhead. He is the one who conversed with Adam and Eve in the garden. He's the one who called out Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees. He's the one who wrestled with Jacob. Uh, He's the one who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. Elsewhere, he is revealed as the angel of the Lord who provided a substitute ram for Isaac on Mount Moriah, who comforted Hagar in the desert, who defeated 185,000 Assyrians in one night battling for the, the people of Israel. So before the Son entered the world, through the Incarnation, He acted in the office of a prophet communicating divine revelation personally, but also through the prophets. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter tells us that when Old Testament prophets were prophesying about the salvation to come, it was actually Christ that was prophesying through them. 1 Peter 1.11 I wish I had time for that this morning, but we got to move. So Jesus basically is the ultimate prophet behind all the prophets. The member of the Godhead who is always speaking forth the will of God. But Jesus was not only a prophet before He came to the earth, before His earthly ministry, uh, before his earthly ministry but also during his earthly ministry. He referred to himself, we saw last week, he referred to himself as a prophet. The people called him a prophet, and the Father called him a prophet. In a rather dramatic moment. He did that. It was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus appears. He goes up the Mount with Peter, James, and John. All of a sudden, He appears as He will at His Second Coming. All of the glory. It says His face shone like the sun. His clothes were as white as light. Here He is in all of His glory. And in that residual glory is standing beside Him Moses and Elijah. And they're having a conversation. Here's Peter, James, and John. And Peter, you know, the, the one who always speaks first before he thinks. He goes, it is good to be here. <laughs> right? He goes to Jesus, if you want to, I'll build three tabernacles for you all. One for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. What's a tabernacle? That's a place of worship. What she's saying? We can worship all three of you right here. And all of a sudden, a voice comes out of heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And Moses and Elijah were gone. Now what was God saying right then? This, My Son, is the ultimate prophet. That's what He was saying in that very moment. Hebrews 1-2 says the same thing. It says, you know, in former times, God spoke to us through the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us through His Son. Yes. So Jesus is a prophet. Second of all, a prophet like Moses. Now, there were many prophets under the old covenant, but... None greater than Moses. And yet Moses said, Moses said that there is going to come a prophet one day that would be much greater than him. Again, verse 22 of our text. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you and anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Now, every Jew in Jesus' day was expecting this prophet that Moses said would one day come. And the reason was, is because of the ministry of John the Baptist. Now, most people don't realize this, but ba- the Baptist ministry had an incredible impact on the nation of Israel. It was a national revival. I mean, when you got the Pharisees coming out asking to be baptized by you, and you looked the way John did, you know that's revival. <laughs> I mean, it was... It was Tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people were impacted by this move of God through John. It was so great. The religious leaders came to John and they said, are you the Messiah? Or they said, are you Elijah who is to come? Or are you the prophet that Moses talked about? Now, they didn't understand that the prophet that Moses talked about and the Messiah were one in the same. Of course, John says, no, I am none of those. Now, as John's ministry decreased. And Jesus' ministry increased. People began to identify Jesus as what? The prophet that Moses talked about. After Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead, Luke 7.16, the people said, a great prophet has risen among us. After the feeding of the 5,000 people, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come. What were they talking about? The prophet that Moses promised. Jesus was a prophet like Moses. And there were many similarities, of course, between the two. Both were endangered as babies, right? Jesus had to flee to Egypt. Moses had to be placed in a basket in the Nile. Jesus, not only was uh, there similarities as children, but when they grew up, they were both tested in the desert. Moses for 40 years, Jesus for 40 days. Both of them were mediators of a covenant. Moses the old, Jesus the new. Both came down to bring the Word of the Lord to the people. Moses came down off Mount Sinai. Jesus came down from heaven. Both of them did extraordinary miracles. Both were revealers of a new age in God's plan. Moses revealed the law. Jesus revealed the kingdom. Finally, both of them were deliverers. Just as Moses delivered the people of Israel from Egypt to receive God's Word at Mount Sinai, Jesus delivered people from sin in order to inscribe His Word on their heart. Jesus was a prophet like Moses. There was some similarities, but there was also some differences. Because Jesus was also the unique prophet. Moses gave the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. Moses built the tabernacle. Jesus was the tabernacle. Moses called for a Passover lamb. Jesus was the ultimate Passover Lamb of God. Moses met God face to face. Jesus is the face of God. Jesus is like Moses, but infinitely superior. And Peter points out in this text one more way that Jesus was superior to Moses. He points that out in regard to their respective prophetic ministries. And he does this by quoting from Deuteronomy 18 where he says, he says you must listen to this prophet and receive his words. And over in Deuteronomy 18, it basically, God basically says, and if you don't, I'm going to personally judge you. This is serious. In Acts 3, Peter adds, if you don't listen to Him, the implication is if you don't believe in Him, you'll be completely cut off. Jesus Himself said it like this, If you do not believe I am He, you will indeed die in your sins. And why is that? Because the only way to be saved is through the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Salvation comes exclusively through him. There's no other name given among men under heaven by which we may be saved. Salvation only comes. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. He is still the ultimate prophet, revealing the ultimate truth of the gospel Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's unique. He's a prophet. He's a prophet like Moses, but He's a prophet who's entirely unique. Lastly, and here's where we're going to spend most of our time. Why do we need Jesus the prophet? Well, after His resurrection, Jesus appeared to His disciples many times over a period of 40 days before He finally ascended into heaven. And one of those first appearances is recorded in Luke 24. Two disciples were walking along the road on the way to Emmaus. And as they were kind of talking about the events that took place in Jerusalem over that weekend where Jesus was crucified, Jesus, hiding His identity, came alongside of them as a stranger and began traveling with them and conversing with them. And eventually, you know, He opens up their heart. They realize the Scriptures were fulfilled in what just happened. They sit down and have a meal and Jesus disappears. They go to the, uh, the other disciples, the, the ten now, because Thomas wasn't with them. And, and of course, Judas is gone by now. And uh, they start relaying this event, what happened and how they saw Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus is in the room with all of them. And uh, He asks for some, some food. And, and so they have a meal. And after they, after they get done eating, Jesus begins to explain to them and, and teach them. He kind of just starts where He left off. Teaching them. And why? Because although they had heard Him teach for three years, they still didn't get it. They had information, but not illumination. They had light, but not sight. They had the external word spoken to their ear but not the internal Word penetrating their heart. He said to them, verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. I told you guys this stuff. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about Me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Now, the the disciples already had all this. They already knew the external Word. They already had the information. Everything that's in the Gospel, they heard. They knew it. Jesus said, this is what I told you when I was with you, but they they couldn't see it. They needed Christ the prophet to reveal it to them. So it says in verse 45, then He opened up their minds so they could understand the Scripture. Now, that word open, there's two words in the original Greek text translated open. There's two. One is anoigo, which means to open something that is already openable, like a door with a latch. It's been open many. It's closed, but it's openable, right? The, the second word is deanoigo, and that means to open something that has never been opened and is difficult to open. Mark seven thirty-four. It's used to describe the opening of deaf ears. Over in Luke, it's used to describe the opening of a womb with a firstborn child. Now, which word do you think Luke uses when Jesus says He opened up their hearts? You're right. Deanoico. Why is that? Because opening the human heart is very, very difficult. It's difficult to open up the heart in order to have it receive spiritual truth. Now, the same word is used over in Luke, uh, over in Acts 16 where it says, the Lord opened up the heart of Lydia to receive the things spoken to her by the Apostle Paul. The Lord opened up her heart. Over in Acts, or, uh, Acts 17, Uh, It talks about the Lord opening up the hearts of the Thessalonians to receive the Word of God. The same thing is used of those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. The same Word. He opened up their heart. The same Word is used here of the disciples. The ten disciples. The Lord opened up their hearts so they could understand the Scripture. Deanoigo. Opening up something that's never been opened up, but it's very difficult to open up. Why? Because they couldn't see. I mean, they had sight, or light. They had the light of the Word. He lived with them. They heard everything, but they couldn't see it. They didn't have sight. A good illustration of this would be uh, cataracts, which, of course, is the gradual clouding of the lens of the eye that sometimes takes place when you get a little bit older. You can see, but it's not clear. But you don't realize the extent to which it's not clear because that happens so gradually. Now You can't get rid of them by rubbing your eyes or by washing your eye out or putting eye drops in. The only way you can deal with it is surgery. You've got to remove the cloudy lens and replace it with a clear artificial lens so you get surgery. And after the band-aids come off, bandages come off, you know, everything is what? And you never realize how much you couldn't see before. It's not only clear, it's bright. It's vivid. Right? Everything's so much, so much alive and brighter to you. Now, the same thing is true spiritually. You can comprehend the scripture. You can rationally grasp the concepts of the Bible, but not see it clear enough to actually understand it. I'm going to give you a good case in point. I'm not judging anyone here. I'm just throwing out an illustration. But you can really know a lot about the Bible and yet not really get it. Jordan Peterson. There's a great example. If you've ever listened to him, that guy, I mean, he has a, a psychological understanding of the Bible that is incredible. But if you ask me, is that man born again? I would say no. I would say he has tons of light, but no sight yet. Not yet. He understands the external Word, but not the internal Word. So you can understand the external Word, but not the internal Word. You need what? You need Christ the prophet to come along through the Holy Spirit and give you understanding because the natural man perceives not the things of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2. That's why sometimes a person will say, you know, uh," you'll hear this kind of, I became a, a Christian six months ago, but... But I've always considered myself a Christian. I've always believed the teachings of Jesus. I always believed Jesus died for sin, but I, I never realized it personally. I knew God loved me, but I, I really never experienced his love. I understood the basic teachings of, of Christianity, but never really understood the significance of the gospel. And then one day, one day, it just popped out at me. I saw it. And I thought to myself, Why did I never see that before? I'll tell you why. Deanoigo. You were open. Your eyes were opened by the prophet of all prophets. And now you see. Now you have understanding. That's why it happened. Jesus the Revealer. Jesus the Ultimate Prophet gave sight to your eyes. Because spiritual blindness is not just the inability to know the truth, it's the inability to internalize the truth. To value it to appreciate it and to worship god for it now how does jesus bring the internal word to us how does he take the external word that comes in our ear and bring it and, and place it in our hearts how does he bring illumination how does he remove the cataracts would be another way of saying that it says here then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture now that word understand is is from a, a greek word it means to put together the pieces or to assemble the parts put together the pieces or assemble the parts that's what it means to understand to put together the pieces so think of a puzzle we got a table up here, 500 pieces. We dump them out, right? And uh, you know, you look at it and doesn't look like anything. They're just laying on the table. You can't see what it is. There's, there's no. You can't tell what it is. There's content, but there's no connection. And all of a sudden, slowly, you begin to connect the pieces together. And what happens? Slowly, what happens? The content starts becoming visible to you. you see it. And when you finish it, you. You finally see it. Now, it's the same. When that puzzle's all put together, it's the same content as when you started. Nothing's changed there. But now you have a total different understanding. You get it now. Why? Because the pieces have come together. You have spiritual understanding. That's what this word means. And that's what the Lord does for us. That's what Jesus does. He puts the pieces together. And we need him. We can't do that ourselves. We can all hear the external word, but only the Spirit, only Jesus through the Spirit, can take that external word and make it lodge it in our hearts so we have a, a spiritual understanding of it. And that's what Jesus was doing for the disciples here in Luke. And that's what he does for us. And Peter says that's what he was doing for the people he was preaching to at that very moment. At the end of that text, in chapter 3, verse 26, Peter says this When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now, a little focus here. When God raised up his servant, he sent. It doesn't say God sent his servant into the world. Go to the cross. That's not talking about God sending Jesus for the first advent. Nor is it talking here about God sending Jesus for the second coming. It says, when God raised Him up. oh, He's resurrected from the dead. Then He sent Him. Sent Him to who? He sent Him to this crowd. He's saying, first to you, Jews, we know that. And then to the Gentiles. But He sent Him to you. And why did God, after the resurrection, send Jesus to these people? He sent them to bless them. Well, how did He bless them? He turned each one of them from their wicked ways and in connection to, to believe the Gospel. So, Peter says, after God raised Jesus from the dead, He sent Him again. First to Jews, then to Gentiles, God sent him to bless each person in that audience, turning each of you to bless each person in that audience by turning them from their sin to believe the gospel, to become children of God. Jesus does that by opening up their minds so they can understand the gospel. Do you realize that you're a Christian because Jesus came to you and opened up your mind so you could understand the truth. Do you realize that? Do you realize that He does that for every single person? It says, for each of you. This is after the resurrection. He does that for each of you. I mean, Jesus loves you so much that He not only gives you the Word, He turns you to the Word. And then He imparts the Word So that you have understanding. Why? Because He's the ultimate prophet who reveals Himself to you so you can be saved. Now, once we realize that Christ is still active in His prophetic ministry, it changes the way that we view reading the Scripture or listening to preaching. Because Christ the Revealer is still speaking. He's still giving understanding. When the Word's being taught, Jesus is teaching. When you're sharing the Word with somebody, Jesus is sharing it through you. Why? Because His prophetic ministry of bringing the truth to bear on people is just as much alive now as it was when He walked the earth. This is His present day ministry. When Paul spoke to the Ephesians about their conversion through his preaching, he came to them, and he preached the gospel and they believed. But he doesn't say, I preached you." Now he could have, that was right, he did. But instead he says this in verse 17, speaking of Jesus, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. It was Paul preaching, but what did he say? Jesus was preaching through me. So much so that Paul doesn't say, I came and preached. He says, Jesus came and preached. This is not a concept, this is reality. Jesus the prophet was preaching through Paul's preaching. The same is true again. When you share the Word of God with somebody, Christ the Revealer is speaking through you to do what? To open up their minds so they can understand. Now, how do you know that Christ the prophet is opening up your mind, your heart by illuminating His Word? How do you know that you're getting the internal Word with the external Word? How do you know that your light is having sight added to it? How do you know that you don't have spiritual cataracts? Well, there's three things. Number one, there's a freshness. There's a freshness. When you hear the word, when you study the word, there is often with it a freshness. It's not all the time, of course. But there's a freshness. Because think about it, if you were reading any other book, you've been through it a few times, and you, know, you get to the point where you kind of lose interest. Why? It gets old, doesn't it? It gets old. Scripture never, ever, ever gets old. Have you ever noticed that? Why? Because it's alive. It's not a dead book. It's a live book. It's got power inherent within it, Hebrews 4.12 says. And so you read a familiar passage. You've seen this. It may be your favorite verse. You've been quoting it your whole life. Every time someone says, What's your favorite verse? You've been quoting this verse. You're reading it in context one day during your reading time, and all of a sudden, boom! You see something you never saw before. There's a freshness to it. That's what the disciples were experiencing. As Jesus was talking, the, the external Word was becoming the internal Word. You know, sometimes when, you, when you're hearing the, the Scripture taught, sometimes it's like, and I've had people come up to me and say this, it's like God was talking to me today. It's like that message. You weren't even up there. It was like the Lord just dialed in on me today. Now look it. He's talking that much to you every single time. You're just not aware of it. But every once in a while He lets you be aware of it so that you know what's happening all the other times. He's illuminating the external Word. It's coming alive to you. That's when the Word of God becomes God's Word to you. There's a freshness. So how do I know I don't have cataracts? There's a freshness. To the word Again, not every time, but often enough that you know when you experience it. The Word is alive. There's a freshness to it. Second of all, there's a delight. When Jesus opened up the disciples' mind and gave them understanding, what did they do? Well, the end of the text in Luke 24 says, and I'll quote, they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, Jesus had told them Go back to Jerusalem and wait. So this verse says, alright, because he, he brought sight to their light. He brought illumination to what they knew. All of a sudden, the pieces of the puzzle fit the, All of a sudden, they could see. What did they do? They worshipped Him. He left. They obeyed. And they went back to Jerusalem. But how did they go back to Jerusalem? Sad? Dejected? Don't want to go to the big city? No, no, no. It says they returned with what? Great joy and were continuing the temple praising God. They worshiped. They joyfully obeyed. They continually praised. Why? Why? They had delight. That's what we call delight. They were delighting in the Lord. See, when the word goes from the external to the internal, from revelation to illumination. It not only affects our minds, it also affects our wills. It affects our emotions to the point where there is joy, there is delight in obedience. We just don't go through the motions. You you know this, you don't have spiritual cataracts when you don't go through the motions. Why? Because there's a freshness and, and there's a delight going on. Even in our sufferings, even when we're suffering, there's still a delight there. And this captures our heart, this delight. I mean, that moment when you sense that. It's like, oh God, You're so good. It's, it, it's an incredible thing. It's like when we experience that, we're like, let's pitch a tent and stay here. <laughs> That's what Peter wanted to do, right? On the mountain. What did he want to do? He wanted to pitch a tent. It's good for us to be here, Lord, right? right? But uh, we must come down off the mountain. We still live in the flesh and our life of God is full of ebbs and flows. But We, we, we relish those moments of that delight. And we need to have them, have them often enough where it becomes a fuel for us in our life. But we are not powerless when it comes to this delight. It's not just something that happens to us. When, when, we, when it does not come to us, the psalmist said, Go to it. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. It doesn't say wait till delight comes. It does. But it says when delight doesn't come, what do you do? Delight yourself in the Lord. In other words, delight before you feel delight. Rejoice before you feel joy. You say, how do you do that? Well, you do that by faith. Well, what's that faith look like? Well, it looks like you reading your Bible every morning or every night starting with the prayer. Lord, thank You for the light You've given me. Now please give me sight. Thank You for the external Word. Now make it the internal Word to me. Open up my eyes so I can understand. You know Christ is opening up your heart to understand when there is is freshness, when there is delight, but also when there is authority. Authority. Luke 4, Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath He taught the people. And they were amazed at His teaching because his words had authority jesus ministry his prophetic ministry is always accompanied by the authority to produce change when he opens our minds when he internally illumines the word it comes with an authority it comes with power a power that gives us the desire to want to obey to to want to do, to want to experience change, to want to experience transformation. You're no longer, at that point, a hearer of the Word. You've become a doer of the Word. Why? Because God's power, God's authority is at work in you. But how does that happen? How does that happen? There's two ways, primarily, that God's power is revealed in our lives, instantaneously and, and gradually. Uh, It can come dramatically in a moment of time, like a sonic boom. Or it can come organically over a period of time, like a growing plant. Sonic boom, growing plant. Dramatically, instantaneously, or gradually. Most of what God does in your life will be with the latter. Organically, like a plant. He does both right he instantaneously heals but he also gradually transforms but usually you know what we want don't you i know what i want all the time i want the boom bring the boom right that's the best way to get everything as far as i'm concerned just do it and it's done thank you lord that's how we pray too you know when we're struggling with something we always pray for the boom usually you know, let's say if somebody's struggling with lust and they realize, you know, I got a real problem here. And so they pray to God and they just say, God, take this, take this lust away from me. What are they praying for? They're praying for the boom. Yeah. But Jesus often works more like a, a growing plant. Organically, he takes the scriptures and he begins to open up our heart and give us understanding through which we experience his power. We see examples of this all over the word, but here's a good one. We're talking about lust. 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says this in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Okay, Paul, how do you do that? Well, he tells you right here. He tells us. He tells us how how this grows. How transformation comes like a growing plant. He says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you've received from God? God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price and therefore honor God with your body. And Paul says, do you not know here? What's he doing? What's he doing? Well, he's calling them to realize what Jesus has done for them through the gospel. He's saying, look at what Jesus has done for you. When he says, do you not know? He's not asking them, do you have light? He's he's asking them, do you have sight yet? Because they know this but I can't see it. It says, do you have sight? Do you not know? Look at what he's done for you. He brought you out of slavery to sin. And he did that at an infinite cost to himself. Look at the price he paid. Think about his sacrifice of love for you. Think about how much he loves you. And then look at what Jesus has put in you. The Holy Spirit your body's now the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in you not in concept, but in reality. And the reason that you are having problems with lust is that you do not realize these things. You do not know them. Oh, oh yes, yes, you know them externally. But it hasn't become internal yet. You have the light of this truth but you still don't have the sight yet. You need Jesus the prophet to take the external Word and speak it in a way that it becomes internal to you. And that happens organically as a plant grows as you meditate on the Scripture. You meditate on it. You think about it. You pray about it. You worship with it. You pray about it. You talk to others about it. You go to other scriptures and add to that. You build this arsenal of scriptures. It's getting in you deeper and deeper. Jesus is giving you more and more and more and more understanding. And gradually, His authority frees you from whatever sin. But most people aren't in for the process because they want the boom. So they remain stuck in a cycle like a hamster on a wheel. That's the way we change most often. Thank God for the sonic booms, but most of the time it comes to you organically and that organic process involves a lot of seed planting and watering and waiting and seed planting, watering and believing and believing But eventually, there's a harvest of righteousness in your life. It will come. We're getting near that time. Let me close with a couple questions. After you become a Christian, and Jesus heals your your cataracts, you can see. Do you know it's still possible for those things to come back? You know it's possible, don't you? If you've had cataracts before, your eyes cloud up again, right? And you've got to do what? You've got to go back to the doctor. Now that's true spiritually as well. Do you remember a time, here's the first question, do you remember a time when the Word of God just seemed so alive to you? It's like you would listen to preaching or you'd be reading the Word it was just so alive. It was like honey. It was sweet. It was just like honey to you. Okay, here's the second question. Was the word that alive to you and sweet to you like that last week? Was it like that last week? Was it like that the week before? How about the week before that? Oh, okay. Okay. Never to fear. There's a way out. There's a way back. There's a way back to sight. It's not hard either. Unless you consider humility a hard thing. But if it's not, it's very easy. You know how you go back? You know how you get back to that? You know how you get back to that freshness? You know how you get back to seeing all the pieces fit together? You know how you get back to having that clear vision? All the floaties are gone? You begin by saying, Lord, I can't see. Because the moment you admit that is when you start seeing. You say, Lord, it's not sweet like honey anymore. The moment you do that, the Word will start to regain its sweetness again. And why is that? Why? Because God gives grace to the humble. Your only need in life... for his grace and he has got loads of it for you and the reason that we don't access how much he has for us is only because of one reason pride the pride we can't see but the pride we have nonetheless why can't we see it there's a cataract in the way the answer all the time is humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up up humble yourself god opposes the proud even the proud person who doesn't know he's proud we can't access god's grace when we're unwilling to admit lord i can't see give me sight lord it's no longer sweet to me it's just words on a page make it like honey again and stay in that place of humility before the lord without you lord i can do nothing and don't give up don't give up on that process get rid of some things in your life that are absolutely necessary that are stealing time away from you make this your daily bread it'll taste sweet again your sight will come back that delight will come God doesn't want you to live without that delight. That's the fuel of Christianity. That's how a whole thing's supposed to work, through delight. Jesus is more valuable. His Word, His truth, His Spirit, everything about Him is more valuable than anything else. I said last week, He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure hid in the field that's worth everything, to, to worth sell everything so you can buy that field, so you can have that treasure that is Jesus. You presume that way, you'll have delight. You'll have joy. You'll have authority. You'll have freedom. You'll have the honey. No more cataracts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. I want you to bow your heads as we stand just in a moment of prayer. Father, do a work in us, we pray. Help us. We humble ourselves before You and we say, We can't understand a thing without the great Revealer revealing. Jesus came personally to disciples and opened up their minds, but now He sends His Spirit. He said to them right before He left, I won't leave you orphans. I will come to you. And He does that still to us through the precious Holy Spirit. And so we look to You, Jesus, to work through the Spirit to bring sight to the light we have. We see it. Make it real. Make it powerful. Reveal it to us. We pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. I'd like our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayers for anything this morning, we'll be up here after the service. If you can hang out for a while, do so and enjoy some fellowship one with another. If you've got to run right away, safe travel. See you next week.